Hello, and welcome to the Development Debrief with Katherine Van Sickle, the stories-based podcast that interviews donors, thought leaders, and professionals in the field of fundraising. Hey listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world. Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand, original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. We're thrilled to feature the development debrief on Evertrue Studios Podcast Network. Check us out at evertrue.com backslash studios. This week, Herb Souls and I talk about independent school fundraising. We cover working with trustees, the value of a feasibility study, and what it means when we say culture beats out strategy every time. Herb Souls is a consultant for ISM. Independent school management is dedicated to advancing school leadership to enrich the student experience. Rely on 45 plus years of research and insights to strengthen your school and deliver your mission with excellence. From numerous virtual and in-person workshops to weekly webinars and newsletters, ISM's resources ensure you're doing what's best for your faculty, staff, and students. Join a community of 900 plus private schools to develop new skills, explore research-based approaches, and feel confident in your role as a private school leader. Learn more at isminc.com. Let's learn more about Herb. Herb provides consulting services in the areas of development and fundraising with experience including extensive knowledge of endowment and plan giving as ways to increase donors' capacity to give at leadership levels. Herb has coached advancement teams that have been recognized twice by the Council for the Advancement and Support of Education in the Achievement in Mobilizing Support Award competition. He has received seven other national awards from alumni participation, publication improvement, and fundraising management. Herb has also been a member of the Case Alumni Relations Commission, the Development Advisory Committee for the National Association of Independent Schools, and the Development Steering Committee of the Association of Independent Schools of Greater Washington. He is a former program chair and president of the Plan Giving Study Group of Greater Washington. In Helen Colson's book, Philanthropy in Independent Schools, Herb authored the chapter on plan giving. He holds a bachelor's degree in education from the University of Virginia and has done graduate work at Virginia Polytechnic Institute. Now let's get started. Herb, welcome to the debrief. Good to be here. Where are you talking to us from? I'm uh, speaking to you from uh, sunny Virginia Beach, Virginia. I know you spent a lot of your career working on campaigns, and so I wanted to kick us off there um, and talk about the campaigns that you've worked on ranging from 2 million to 65 million with all different kinds of institutions. So why don't you tell us about some of your favorite or notable capital campaigns that you've guided over the years? Well, I've been fortunate uh, in my career to work at five really wonderful schools. During those uh, different schools, we had a a total of seven different capital campaigns, uh, as small as 2 million to as large as 65 million from startup school to a school that was founded many, many years ago before George Washington was even born. So one of the oldest schools in the country. So I've had a wide variety and each one of them was unique in its own way. And I've really enjoyed that, uh, that run. It really has been great because I've got a chance to meet 
some of the most wonderful, generous people that you would ever find anywhere. People that really cared about children and changing their lives uh, and providing the resources that would be uh, that would be necessary for the faculty who work on a day-to-day -day basis uh, with children. So, what are some of the primary things that differentiate those seven campaigns? It depends, uh, as you as you might imagine, uh, different schools, different things work for different schools. And, and there's a certain continuity with all of them, a certain sort of general practices that are, are best accepted that, that I've gleaned from, from the many years I've been working uh, to now being a consultant where I go and help school, other schools. So uh, those are the schools that I work directly with as a, as a director of development. And now what I do is I, I work with ISM as a consultant helping school, other schools uh, uh, not make some of the same mistakes that I made and, and maybe benefit from that. It's really interesting though, to hear the range of old longstanding institutions versus new ones. And I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more about that, what you've observed. Well, uh, you know, that, that's an interesting thing too, just because the age of the school or the or the prestige or predominance of the school doesn't mean that their development program is on the same level. And so right. different schools uh, that you might expect really know what they're doing, um, you know, essentially they, they've not had to uh, right. be involved in capital campaigns. Um, one of the most notable schools I've worked with um, hadn't had a campaign in 20 years because they hadn't needed it. When they wanted something, they called one or two families and there they were. Now, we can't all be fortunate like that. And right. so most of them are more like the school that was the startup school I worked with where, um, you know, you had limited uh, facilities and there were great needs and, uh, and, a, and a not a clear understanding of why you needed those needs. Uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and now you, you shared with us that you're at ISM. How did you find them or did they find you? Well, it's really, that's kind of funny. Uh, life comes full circle in many ways. When I first started, I was right out of the classroom and some trustees thought that, that I might be a good development person and I had no clue to, matter of fact, when the head asked me about it, I thought he was talking about curriculum development. And oh, it, it was totally... Funny totally shook up when he said, no, no, I want you to raise money. And I was a history teacher and a coach. And I went, I don't have the first clue to how to do that. And uh, he said, well, we'll send you to some conferences and we'll uh, end up uh, uh, getting you some cons consultation and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll help you out. And so I said, well, let's try it. And the first conference I went to was an ISM conference, a summer incident conference. And wow. now, lo and behold, I'm teaching those conferences. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of fun to, to know that, that sometimes life comes full circle. So. That's very cool. So five different schools, seven different campaigns. And of course, you're hearing about a whole lot more now in your position as consultant. What are, what's your ethos around working with trustees? You know, that's something that's going to be important wherever you go. What do you tell your clients? The basic thing that we teach at ISM is that 
that trustees are not there for the children that are there today. They hire a head of school to do that. But what the trustees are there for, or for the next generation, and they need to be looking down the road. So when it comes to fundraising, you want them to be involved in the annual giving program, but that's more like having them look at what's going on today, current needs and so on. And so really for fundraising, we, we want the trustees to participate in annual giving and, and, and be involved as much as they can. But we want them looking at capital campaigns, which are increasing the assets of the school, either physical assets or the monetary assets. So we want the trustees, if we can, to, to really be focused in on capital campaigns for facilities and particularly for endowment. Uh, so that's that's where we, we, we look at that. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question that might seem obvious, but why is that? Why should the trustees be involved with the capital? Well, you know, I'm not sure I can give you a, an exact answer in that, except I've never seen a capital campaign that was successful that wasn't actually owned by the trustees. Good answer. And, <laughs> and I'm, I tell that to every school. Uh, a lot of times I, I have people say, well, you know, our board isn't a giving board. And I, I look at them right away and say, well, what have you asked them to do? And usually I get sort of crickets in return. You know, nobody says anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and mm -hmm. when, when we start breaking it down, we find out that the trustees haven't been involved because they, they really haven't been, you know, it's assumed that they know what to do and it, that's not fair. Uh, a lot of trustees may say that they've been involved in a capital campaign, but truthfully, they've only been involved in the in the public phase of it. They may have may have been involved a little bit in the planning, but but uh, you really want the trustees to understand it completely, and that's the key. Uh, when they understand what their role and responsibilities uh, are, uh, and they accept that. Uh, and hopefully enthusiastically in set, right. then that's when you're going to be really successful. My first campaign, I didn't know what, I had no clue what to do. Um, and I was just so lucky that we had a, a, a group of trustees that knew exactly what to do. And they got me the training that I needed. They got me the counsel I needed. They got me the budget I needed. And they were always there for me. And it was a it was a great relationship. Uh, I think trustees are well intended in most cases, but they just they haven't been instructed as to what really needs to be done. Do you say you know the board? We're hoping the board will cover X percentage of this campaign, or are you that specific? Yeah, actually, I I throw that out, and that's that's usually uh, as I'm going through this list, the you know the first couple of ones, you know. You must participate. Okay, that's fine. And you must be confident, you know, be confidentiality is important. And usually they'll say, well, we're doing that already, you know. And then I throw in something that wakes them up, which is I believe the board should give 25% of the campaign. And usually that's a silence. And then and then the hands go up and questions start being asked. Well, does that include the current board or all of past board members too. And I said, it's up to you. You know, you, you decide. Uh, does that mean give that much or get that much? And I said, it's up to you. What do you think? And so 
great discussion comes in. <laughs> Those kind of questions, I think, stimulate them to really think about, well, you know, this might be a bigger deal than, than, than we thought. And it's important that they come to that conclusion together and, mm -hmm. and be resolved. Because if they don't, it's going to be left up to the development committee or even even worse to the development staff in the head of school. And then that's a recipe for disaster. How did you come up with that 25? I think that number sounds, well, that's to say something between 20 and 30. So that was exactly 25, but. No, but, but you know, truthfully, it, I'm gonna answer this like a lawyer, that depends. 25 is just a good number to get them started to talking. Yes. Yeah. I've had discussions where they say, well, if that includes all current board members and past board members as well, 25 is not, you know, we should go up to 50, you know, it's up to them. Uh, right. Now you've mentioned best practice a couple of times, and I'm really curious to know how you view best practice on working with school leaders and how you recommend they should be included, where, where maybe not? We, we have two groups. We have the professional group, which are your head of school and your director of development, admissions, advancement, all of that. And then you have the volunteer group, which is the, the group of uh, trustees or other campaign leaders. I'm thinking head of school. You know, I've heard people say, well, if you're going to have a capital campaign, the head's got to de de dedicate 20% of their time to the campaign. And I'm going, wow. you've got to That's be realistic. Yeah, you got to be realistically. The first thing that the head has to do is run the school. If, if that's not running in, in good order, you're not going to be doing very well out there asking people to contribute to the school. Right. What we found, uh, interesting research that we found among your people of high net worth, we found a high percentage of them really care about how schools are run or how a charities run. Mm -hmm. uh, and a very good reason for that, uh, Catherine, is if you have somebody that's a really good donor and they're really ready to make a gift and they really love you, but they're not really sure how the school is run well or whether it's run financially efficiently, they're going to hold back and they may give you a gift, but it won't be the gift that you can get. Now, 20 years ago, other things were more important. Uh, but today, and I think it started with the, 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 the Great Recession, people started thinking, where do we invest our money and where do we invest it best? I'll give you a great example of that. I had a really, uh, one of our lead donors for a campaign said, I'll make the contribution but what I'm afraid of is that you won't be successful in the campaign and I'll be left hanging out there. And I said, well, what if I could show you a written campaign plan? It, it was amazing how they said that would help. And so we had a written campaign plan, all the specifics in it and showed it to them. And this person never said a word to me about it. Just never made a comment. But I did notice that every meeting we went to the plan that I'd given and was dog-eared and has been really looked oh, at. Oh, really? Very, even though it was never a comment, I, I know that he looked at that thing really carefully. And uh, 
In Should the head of school be asking? Sure. But you know, the, the, with, with all the volunteers and with, with all the trustees, the head, anybody else, you really want them to fit in the cycle, the donor cycle, the, where they're best. We talk about identifying, engaging, evaluating the actual solicitation, then recognition, and then stewardship. That's the cycle. And mm -hmm. we, want, we want the personalities to fit where they are most comfortable, where they enjoy, if you will, and where they will be most enthusiastic. If you've got somebody that's really nervous about solicitation, you know, we'll find another role for them. You know, mm -hmm. And I had a head once that you'll enjoy this was really good at evaluating because this head could ask people any question that you could imagine. Uh, and I laugh and say that he was an Episcopal priest and was used to getting confessions, but uh, <laughs> he, was, he was really good. He could find out anything. And so he was uncomfortable in the solicitation part. So why have him ask when you could really use him in another way that would be beneficial? Sometimes we use teachers or coaches and you say, well, don't they feel awkward asking for money? Well, but we don't have them ask. We have them telling about the project in mm -hmm. their own uh, way. And there's a certain magic that happens when, when, a, when a coach is describing a new football stadium. <laughs> you know? Or right. there's a certain magic when, when a librarian starts talking about the new library or, or something of that sort. So you have them involved in the beginning stages, but not in the actual ask. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good one. I think a lot of people forget about including other members of the community and how much they can contribute in different ways. And that's when I go back to the trustees. You know, there'll be some trustees that, you know, we had a trustee once that was really good at closing. And it was terrible at the cultivation because we really want to close it. So we use them for the, the actual close when we mm -hmm. need and uh, it was very, very effective. Well, I'm loving your stories and I'd like to hear a few more. So ah. what is a feasibility study and why is it important? Well, the, the, the thing that's really important about a feasibility study is, and this is really important for all the leaders, both professional and volunteers to know, is a campaign should work on data not on intuition. Typically we'll hear, everybody wants a new art center. Well, you come back and say, who is everybody? Quote unquote, yes. Who is this everybody? Mm -hmm. Well, it's all my friends and people that think like I do. It's what mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So, so that's intuition. And as soon as I ask that question, there's always a blank look. The important thing is that if you're going to start a campaign, best you have some major donors that fit in that category of everybody. Mm -hmm. And so there's only one way to really find that out. You can go back to your records and, your, and see who, who's contributed to what in the past. And all of that's a good start. But really, who's to say that the particular project in mind is the one that's going to get support. And the only way to do that really well is through a feasibility study 
you may call it a leadership study or, or, or a readiness study or whatever, but what it boils down to is interviewing your top 60 prospects that you have right now and seeing if you can get at least 20 to 25 commitments to the levels that you want them to be. In a feasibility study, it's more than just asking about how much money they might contribute. You want to find out what they think about the school, the leadership, you know, every aspect of the school. You want to find out how they feel about the campaign. There are two questions, for example. One is, what do you think about the vision of the campaign? And then what do you think about the case for support that explains the vision? And seriously, it might be a difference. They might say, I got the, the vision. I really like it, but you didn't explain it very well. In the So, you know, you have to go back and go to work. Now, what happens if you don't do a feasibility study? Well, you're risking failing. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You're, 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 if you don't do a feasibility study, you're going to be doing it based on intuition. And, and I can give you example over example of, of schools that have, have, have made mistakes. And, and I, I told you one of these stories before about a lady that I interviewed. Yeah, tell us that one. This is a great thing. This school thought they knew, knew their, their, their prospects really well. And this was a lady they had identified as a potential leader. And they needed a lead gift of a million dollars. They were hoping that this would be the, the person. So when I got in the interview with her, uh, it was really funny. We had a fabulous interview and we, we got to the point where I said, what do you think that you might do if, if you were motivated to, to this campaign? And she said, well, we've already talked about it um, and we're gonna give $100,000 a year uh, for three years. And so that was $300,000. That's far short of where we were going to be. And I said, well, that's an interesting approach. You're, you're looking at budgeting $100,000 each year. What if, if we could, say, give you five years? And she said, well, Herb, I told you I'll give you $100,000 a year. If you'll give a five-year pledge period, we'll give you $500,000. Well, I said, well, that's fabulous. That's really generous. And I said, you know, why, why are you doing such a generous gift? And she said, well, actually, I don't consider it that generous because I'm not really excited about the campaign. Yes, I, I, I said, what? I, that, you're going to give $500,000 to a campaign you're not excited about? She said, well, Herb, I'm excited about the school. I love the school. And I know you need the money and we, we'll support that. But but this campaign's all about athletics, and, and I'm, just, I'm just not that interested in it. I'm, I'm much more interested in endowment, and there's no endowment component in this campaign. And so the obvious next question, which wasn't on the questionnaire, but I just came up with it. I had to. I said, well, tell me, if, if endowment was in the campaign, what would you do? She said, well, you know, my husband and I have been talking about a possible bequest of a million dollars, but we're not going to, we're not going to leave that to athletics. We, we would leave it to endowment. I said, would it be possible for me to tell the head of school what you just told me? She said, that's why I just told you. 
that afternoon, I love it. I love that it. Afternoon, that afternoon, we wrote rewrote the case for support, mm-hmm. and it, it did include a component. So her gift went from three hundred thousand dollars to a million five. Just I would say I hope you kept the half million there too. In addition, oh yeah, yeah, that was that was given. That was to start with. So uh, yeah, we wouldn't get it right away, but that was okay. That was right. Good. And that was all by asking questions. You got by to that by questions. asking. Exactly. And getting the data, not mm-hmm. the intuition. The intuition was she loves the school. She'll support whatever we want to do. Well, kind of, but not fully. They would have never known that. I don't think. Exactly. Don't no. Think she wanted to tell, and we gave her a vehicle for being able to do that in a comfortable way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, was that feasibility study worth it? You bet it was. And by the way, that campaign was successful. I'll tell you what, I was doing, and you may be interested in this, and it was a New York school where um, the one of the feasibility study interview person said, I'm not, uh, I'm not excited about this campaign because I don't think it's aspirational enough. And I'll be your lead donor, but I would give you much more if it was a if it was a bigger and more aspirational campaign. Once again, I said, "Can I go to the hits?" <laughs> and did you make the change? Yes, you bet we did. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You don't know. Yeah, it's to resonate. It needs to get people excited. So I've heard you say that culture beats out strategy every time. What do you mean by that? And where did you come up with it? Well, I, I think it's it's an old adage that that uh, you know when you look at best practices and you think of something that that you know particularly when you're talking about budgeting you know um, you know a, a budget for a school in New York is going to be different than a, a budget for a school in in Des Moines Iowa no reflection on either place it's just different right and and consequently you know best practices in one area may not be the best practices in another. Uh, It's good to know the best practices because then you have um, uh, a sort of a rule to go by. But but a lot of times things that work in one school won't work in another school. And and so you've got to be very conscious of that and not try to to implement something that was successful somewhere else and you think it's going to be successful at, at, at your school. So therefore, that's why I say, the culture of your school is critically important. Kevin, how many times have you seen a person go to a school and be really, really professional and really know what they're doing, but just not seem to hit it? And it's maybe because they just don't fit with the environment that they are in at this particular time. So yeah. when, you're, when you're employing new staff and so on, it's very important that, that you you be conscious of the fact that that the culture of the school could be either inhibiting or it could be uh, amplifying. I mean, it could actually be a benefit. Uh, sometimes what do you think is the best way to determine the culture? Well, I think you 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 you, you get people who know it really well, and and then of course once again we go back to data data mining mm-hmm. surveys and things of that sort. You get the actual fact as opposed to what you think the culture might be. A lot of times old schools say we've never done it that way. 
But what they don't realize is that the constituency has changed overnight. And it's not the same people that were there 20 years ago. And their demands and their interest and their their values even may have changed and adjusted. And uh, so therefore, um, that's why I keep coming back to, you've got to know your people. And that's the data that's, it's critically important. Yeah. Well, this has been so fun, Herb. Thank you for coming on. I would love to. It's been helpful. It's been great. I love hearing your experiences and especially in the independent school world, it's, it really is so personal. And that's what I think I'm taking away from what you're saying with the board work and the leadership. The, the wonderful thing about independent school work as, as, as opposed to some other charities is that we get to know our constituency so much better. We're so much closer to it. Right. So relationship fundraising is, is really essential. Um, mm-hmm. And relationship fundraising will beat slick marketing any day of the week. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, if you've got 100,000 constituency, uh, you better have the slick marketing. But when it comes to, to groups like we have, that we have the opportunity to be close to on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And as a fundraiser, I found out I could raise as much money, even more money, by going to school events, being at an athletic event, being at a right. play, being present. And, and knowing the children, those are the things that, are, that I think are really invaluable in the fact that, that we can get to know them better. Herb, what do you know for sure? <laughs> this world's changing. You know, every day is a new surprise for us. But there's one overarching thing that I do know, and that is that people will find the time, the energy, and the money to support what they think is important. And it behooves us to know what they think is important. And if we can, that's when the magic happens and that's when good things come about. Thank you so much. It's great to have you. Good to be with you. Thank you for tuning in to learn more about ISM and best practices around independent school fundraising, specifically with capital campaigns. I'm excited for next week's episode, which will be a conversation about constituent engagement. In the meantime, please connect on LinkedIn or follow me at Dev Debrief. I look forward to hearing from you and would love to hear how the podcast is impacting your work. Until next week.